Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. In this podcast, I chat to athletes, coaches, and industry professionals about their sporting journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. Guests range from Olympians to the everyday lover of sport, but the message stays the same. There is so much more to sport than what meets the eye. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you don't miss the release of each new episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I'd love to hear from you. Before I introduce today's guest, I have to let you know that this is the last episode for the year. This year, it's been incredible to interview so many inspiring people and delve into some more serious topics. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I encourage you to go back and check out some of the prior episodes. I've had the privilege of interviewing so many incredible people in the world of sport, from my high school sports teacher all the way to world champions and world record holders. If you've been around from the start, honestly, thank you so much for all of the support. Being able to share the journeys and lessons of each guest and seeing that they inspire and motivate people is just so... I don't even have words for how happy it makes me. Don't stress, more episodes will be dropping in 2022. Planning has already started, but so you don't miss out, make sure you are following or subscribing on whatever you are listening to this episode on. Even better, for exclusive content, go and check out the Instagram account at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. Now I have the pleasure of, of introducing you to the final guest for season two, Lisa Daimanen. Lisa is an Australian sailor and two-time Olympian, bringing home a silver medal at her debut Olympics. If that isn't impressive enough, Lisa is also passionate about protecting our oceans and supporting and empowering people, particularly women, to take up the wonderful sport of sailing. I loved having a chat with Lisa about everything from this family sport of sailing and competing with her cousin, all the way to how not getting the result you are after isn't a failure at all. I couldn't have asked for a better chat to wrap up the interview aspect of the podcast for the year, so let's jump on in. So Lisa, welcome to the show. Uh, it's it's good to have you on. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your sport and how you got into it? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Fiona. Yeah, sailing is a bit of a wild sport. It's a family sport for me. Mum took me down to the local sailing club when I was about nine years old and I started sailing with my brother Evan and it was the most terrifying experience of my life. They pushed me out into the ocean and and uh, it was, I described it as wild winds and crazy, the capsized, the ferry was coming towards us and um, I proceeded to hate it for weeks after, but eventually I got over that and and learned to love it. So it's been a bit of a, a roller coaster journey <laughs> for me. Yeah. Also, you mentioned that it's a family sport. I did a little bit in my research and I found that your mum sailed. Uh, is that how you got into it? Like she encouraged you to do it or she was still sailing and you just jumped on board? Yeah. So she grew up sailing um, with her brothers and my uncle Rod was taking my cousins down to local sailing club and said, called mum up and said, oh, you should come and bring the kids. So ended up being, I was sailing with my brother and then my cousins were sailing together. We competed against each other and now I compete with my cousin. So yeah, it's all very family orientated. And when we can sail together, we do in bigger boats and things like that. And I think that's why I love sailing is no matter like your age or gender, you can share the experience with anyone. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. I couldn't imagine like 
getting to share that experience with family, like yes, friends, but also like your actual family and getting to do it with your brother and your cousin and your, your mom and your uncle. That's so cool. Was there like a specific moment you were like, yes, like this is the sport for me. This is what I want to do. At the time I didn't have that light bulb moment, but in hindsight, I can look back on this moment in primary school. And I remember all my friends being like, oh, we just shut up about sailing. (laughs) And I was thinking maybe that was a moment where I was like, this is definitely my passion and I'm going to do this for as long as I can. And I think in terms of professional, it was in 2009. I had just won the Youth World Championships with my cousin Jason in Brazil. And that's when I really got a taste of what competing around the world is like. I was over in this beautiful little fishing village in Brazil sailing against athletes from around the world making friends and I was like this is pretty cool I could keep doing this yeah oh that's incredible and in terms of like you mentioned that you was was sailing with your cousin Jason how does that team get selected like do you guys go in as a as a unit and go hey sailing Australia we want to compete or do they like select you and put you on the same team So you can decide who you want to sail with, but sailing is one of those sports that skill is very critical, but so is your weight. So for the Youth World Championships, I was the right weight and I was under 18 and that was basically the two boxes I needed to tick for Jason. So I like to say he didn't pick me for my talent um, and that came (laughs) later. (laughs) But when you're trying to qualify for a national team, um, yeah, you can pick pick who you want to sail with. You go to the qualifying events and if you win the selection, you're on. So yeah, very lucky that it's worked out with Jason and I both in age and in our physical size as well, because that's something that probably people don't know about sailing. That's so critical and that we've been able to do it for you know over a decade now. Yeah, well, I never really thought that weight would even be a consideration in it. But I guess like when you're racing sailing boats or certain sailing boats, yeah, I guess you have to kind of balance that out. And is it? to complement each other (laughs) yeah exactly so if you think about something floating in the water if it's too heavy it's going to sit lower in the water which will be harder to glide through the water Mm -hmm. but if you're too light then when the wind pushes the sails and you start to capsize you can't use your body weight to keep the boat flat and not capsize Mm -hmm. so it's about finding that perfect weight balance that you can get away in the light wind by not being too heavy but also swing the boat down in the heavy breeze Um, So there's usually like an optimal weight and it's the combined weight. So for the boat that I sail, it's a combined weight between like 136 kilos and 146 kilos. And, you know, the fleet is quite separate in that, but um, you've got to find your sweet spot based on your skills. So it is a little bit of magic and and sailing is quite difficult to find a good pairing in which you fit that weight class. You also get along really well and you have complementary skills. So yeah, it's a little bit of a dance to find a good partner and, I was just so lucky that, um, yeah, it was my my cousin. Yeah, that's it. Kind of all worked out in the end, didn't it? Like it's magic that you get to do that with with your cousin. I've never been able to play any sport with any of my cousins, but I could imagine how like how it would bring the family closer, like having grandparents or you know the whole family unit at these events. Yeah, and to be completely honest with you, I think cousins works better than brothers. It's just far enough apart. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, 100%. I was just thinking like the closest thing I could relate is maybe playing sport with my sister, in which case we probably wouldn't do well together. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't um, argue back as much with my cousin as I would uh, my younger brother. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's just for you. You're right, just far apart. Now, you mentioned uh, the 2000, was it 2009? World champs, the 2008 
world champ 2009 yeah yeah and that like that was an amazing experience but that other significant milestones along your journey like I know you've been to two Olympics which is amazing but like along the way there's been you know a few years between then can you tell us about some of those milestones yeah obviously a four-year cycle is a really long one so you and so is five um so you've (laughs) got to um celebrate the little wins along the way but for me you know there's some really highs and some and big lows but there, there was a big high was in 2014 and it was after a series of really bad results and we just weren't performing and we missed out on the selection for the test event and that was super disappointing and you know we had to sort of come home and train and we we turned up at the world championships and just had to give it everything to try prove that us young kids were still needed to be taken seriously and we ended up getting a bronze medal at that world championships and I think to medal at an open world championships at that age was super exciting. And it was the first moment that I think people looked at us and was like, oh, wow, you actually could represent Australia at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So that was an amazing moment for me. And then at the most recent Olympics leading into that, we had a really tight selection as well. And we had two world championships within three months of each other because it was the 2020 and 20, sorry, 2019 and 2020 world chance that we're trying to squeeze in before the Olympics. And we got two bronze medals back to back at a world championships in completely different conditions. And that basically secured our selection for the game. So although, although they're three bronze medals um, and they're not three golds, they're still really um, precious memories and, and just showed that we could do it to the people that really mattered. Yeah. And I guess like having, because three months is enough time apart that, you know, your physical condition can change in that in that time like it's not like they're two weeks apart and you've planned your competitions and your prep like that it's it's enough it's a decent time apart that things can happen and to be able to get like you said a bronze medal in both of them but also like the the different conditions like that just shows like how I don't even know the right word like how elite that you guys were performing like the top level that you guys were doing that's amazing did it give you confidence going into the most recent games yeah, I mean, it was a bit unfortunate with the Olympics being postponed <laughs> because we had we had about 18 months without competition after that. But it definitely gave the confidence that, you know, no matter what conditions we get, we are ready to perform. And um, as I spoke before, that like we were sitting in a good weight class, that we had the skills to get through, you know, really light conditions to really crazy survival conditions to conditions where the wind's coming from all directions. So I think that as a, as a professional sailor, like I, I think that's what's, you know, results don't tell us the full story, whereas consistency over time does. And I think that's where, you know, I look at the last nine years and we've been so consistent over so many different championships in the most wild conditions to the most simple. And, and I think that's what I'm most proud of. Yeah, that's amazing. And just like you said, it's the not the one-off, performances it's the consistency and to be able to be consistent over like you said nine years like that's a long time is amazing so can you tell us a little bit about Rio yeah so Rio was my first Olympics and um it was amazing like a lot of people um didn't love Rio but I definitely did and and I think that's because as sailors we tend to spend a lot of time at the venue so I probably spent about six months in Rio in the 12 months leading into the games which was amazing. Like we were staying in apartments and, and we were able to walk to our sailing venue. So it was probably a very different experience than other athletes that are sort of locked in the village. Um, but I loved the culture and I loved the sailing there. And um, it was just amazing. I think it was 
a little bit surreal. Like I, I always laugh with my with my brothers. Like out of the three of us, we're all sailors, and and I used to think that they were the most talented. And I was like, like how did I end up at the Olympic Games? <laughs> um, so it was a bit of a surreal one for me, but it was amazing. And you know, when you rock up to a competition like that, and everyone's you know, in their country colours from head to toe, um, it's something so simple, but it makes it quite real. Yeah, and the result at Rio I've got here on my notes was was a, a podium result. So what did it feel like being at your first Olympic Games and getting on the podium? I mean, we got second, yeah. um, which is an amazing achievement. But at the time, I was actually quite disappointed, which, um, which sounds silly, but I think it's because when we set out to go to the Olympics, it wasn't, I want to go to the Olympics. It was like, okay, let's go win a gold medal for Australia. And in sailing, the way it works is you have 12 races. If you win a race, you get one point. If you come second, you get two points and all your points add up. And it's the person with the least points at the end that wins. Then you go into a final race where it's a double point race. So it's still least points win. So there's a lots of maths going on uh, in the middle of your race. And we went into the final race fourth and then we moved up to second overall, but we were just one point off that gold medal. So oh. that's basically as cl close as you can get in sailing. So it was disappointing because we were so close to our goal. But after a couple of months, I realized how, you know, amazing that was to walk away from your first Olympics with, with an Olympic medal. And then after going to a second Olympics, I realized that how precious it was that we were able to come away with a medal, no matter what the color was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think most people can relate no matter what level of sport they play or what even sport they play that, when you don't get the result that you want or I guess expect uh it does feel I guess heavy and a bit disappointing it's like yucky feeling but yeah to put it back into perspective like you were able to do that it helps you know kind of cement that you have done something right and you did put the work in and you know one point is not something to be ashamed of like it's incredible and you know you got to enjoy that Olympic experience at the end of the day as well yeah, exactly. And, and I think with the results, like for us, like on the water, on the water, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, we're really happy, but you know, we're, we're a little bit sad. And then, but then you come to shore and you have your whole team there cheering you on and celebrating you and giving you hugs. And then you have your family and whether it's you talking to them on the phone or they're in the crowd, like that's what makes it really special because they're all so happy for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've been on the journey with you as well. So um, I think that they can probably separate the emotion a little bit more out of it than you can in the moment. So yeah, that's sort of what was so special about the Olympic experience. Oh, I just love that you said that. <laughs> I'm going to grab that for a like a little sound grab, I think, <laughs> for the social media. <laughs> Have you had any injuries along the way? Because I could imagine, you know, wind, ocean, uh, like a sailing boat and someone else on, on the boat, you could potentially get injured. Have you had any injures, injuries? Um, it's funny you say that because right now I'm sitting with a hand brace on and had surgery last week from an injury back in 2019 that I've been managing. And yeah, the last year has been really hard for me. And just to describe it to the listeners, so the boat that I sail is um, five and a half metres, but it's hydrofoiling, which means it flies above the water. We go to up to speeds of like 50 kilometres an hour when we're, when we're hauling. So um, the faster you go, the bigger you crash. And mm -hmm. I've certainly had my fair share of crashes. Yeah, the last, the extra year, year was really tough for me um, physically so I'm at the front of the boat doing the physical work um, and then my cousin's at the back steering the boat so 
in the last year, I was thinking about I had wrist surgery, I've had a hip injection, I've had an injection in my AC joint, and I've had a concussion. So it's been a bit of a year for me. Um, so I'm enjoying a bit of time off. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. And like to have an Olympics in the middle of that, not only an Olympics, but a postponed Olympics. Like, how did you feel? Like, were you stressed with some injuries and going, oh my gosh, like, I wish they didn't postpone it. I know that, (laughs) I know that they had to, but like, were you just thinking, oh, my poor body? (laughs) I think like, I mean, I got through the Olympics pretty well. I actually go really well in heat. I know that sounds really silly, but in the cold, I tend to struggle a lot because we're out on the water. It's extremely Mm -hmm. cold. um, And that's when my body seems to not operate very well. So um, I actually love the heat in, um, in Tokyo and, it was pretty extreme for us, but my body held up really well. Maybe it knew it was the Olympics, so it knew it just had to rally and, and do a good job. So, yeah, right now just repairing. But, um, but yeah, it was that extra year was tough for me, and I'm sure it was tough for a lot of athletes. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a mix between athletes who were, I guess, nursing injuries and just trying to, like, hold on a little bit longer, and then those that that postponement gave extra time to and it allowed them to you know secure their spot in the team because if it had have happened in 2020 then they might not have might not have uh, made the team but yeah I guess you've done it very well if you if you like the heat and you are able to you know hold through that and now you're in a recovery phase you've managed that pretty well especially with an extra year thrown in there yeah, it was one of those things that was, it just, it just depended. It was, had so many pluses and so many minuses, but in the end, I, I just keep saying to everyone, I'm like, oh, thank goodness it actually happened. Because yes. for me, like, imagine going through all of that and then and it not happening. So it's, it's always worth it in the end. Yes, a hundred percent. And like, I know you're from New South Wales. I'm from Melbourne. So, you know, our states were in a nice fun lockdown in and around the Olympic time. And it just gave everyone a little bit of hope that things could go ahead and something could be not normal but somewhat what we've known before exactly and it was so lovely like hearing how many people were actually tuning in to all the olympic sports but even sailing i think the time difference probably did wonders for um all all the weird sports um Mm. i'm going to classify sailing (laughs) under that um and i think that's because you know people had nothing to do so they're like oh yeah watch a bit of sailing and um or, or whatever it was yeah it was fantastic to see the coverage and I was so into the Olympics as well even though I was over there it's amazing watching the Australian team yeah and I think the I think the Aussie spirit really came through in terms of like everyone just rallied to get together and support our fellow Australians and I, I felt really proud to somewhat be a part of it in terms of like just supporting and watching I know I decorated like my whole lounge room I had decorated uh, a place at work, even though we got shut down for half of it. Um, <laughs> it was just really lovely just to see the joy it brought on people's faces. Yeah, it was amazing. And I mean, it was it was pretty hard for all of us coming home and having to do two weeks quarantine. I was actually in a hotel in Sydney. I wasn't one of the lucky ones in fresh air and sunlight in Darwin. But um, it was they made it as special as they could. So they had like lots of um, artwork up around the hotel when we arrived from primary school students. And then each day they would deliver us like a cookie that someone had made and a little drawing from a kid when our lunch would come and things like that. So there was definitely um, a lot of appreciation for the Olympians, even though we were locked in our rooms, um, we still felt pretty loved by um, the hotel and, and the Australian public. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome that they gave you that kind of homecoming because I know, 
like the big thing is, you know, you get to do your Olympic parade and you get to kind of, you know, do the walk and show, show everyone how you've done. And that didn't, I don't even think New South Wales has been able to do anything yet. I know the Melbournians haven't. So yeah, to get home and have some sort of recognition is, is certainly important. Yeah, it was, it was definitely disappointing. One of my fondest memories from Rio was actually coming home on the Qantas plane in the hangar and having our family and friends in the hangar. And it was crazy, like walking down the stairs to get off the plane and they were playing, I still call Australia home. And I just started oh. crying and it was so many emotions. <laughs> and then this one, it was like, you're met by like the air force who put you on a bus and then lock you in a hotel room. It's just like, this is really different. You have like people in hazmat suits and wearing masks. <laughs> but yeah, it was just, you know, it's, it's going to be one that you're not going to forget, I guess. No, no, definitely not. It's one for the history books. That's for sure. So a big part of this uh, podcast and the message behind it is like sport can provide you with so many benefits um, that, kind of transfer over to other avenues of your life. So, you know, you learn something, you pick something up in sport and then it transfers outside of the sporting context. Is there something that sport has, you know, taught you or provided you as an individual that's transferred over? Oh, so many things. <laughs> I think with sailing, like I wasn't one of those kids that at seven years old was like, I'm going to be an Olympian. <laughs> I was um, sort of fell into it and I was in the right place at the right time. And I had a bit of a life plan and, and the Olympics weren't part of that. But I'm so thankful that that life plan didn't come together because I'm such a better human for going through what I've gone through and for having sport and everything from your nutrition and living an active lifestyle to um, having communication and organization and time management skills. But also I think what sport has brought me, it's brought me this amazing opportunity to travel the world, to see a lot of places and also open my eyes to a lot of problems. And I think for me, the one thing that's probably stood with me and that I want to actually take forward no matter what I do is Rio was beautiful as I was talking about before but it was also um, riddled with pollution and sailing was actually quite a challenge we had to not only try and navigate rubbish in the water that you know can basically end your race but also we were terrified that if you had a little cut it would get infected and you know you'd be in hospital or if you fell in the water you might get sick for a couple of days so there was like all these crazy things that we never had to think about because in Australia we're so lucky we can you know you never really worry about jumping in the ocean maybe you think twice if it's rained but I think that was what was the massive thing for me that opened my eyes and has basically lit a fire in me to make a difference and you know change my behaviors in terms of how I like what products I buy and how I respond to like environmental issues and I'm also really annoying and tell everyone else what they should do as well (laughs) but you know I never probably would have found that you know passion to protect our oceans even though I you know I love the ocean I love swimming and sailing and surfing I probably wouldn't have found that like big wake-up call to be like okay I actually want to make change and I actually want to learn more about this and learn what I can do and and try educate people so for me that's probably like the biggest impact my sport has brought me Mm, I really love that and it's something so different than what we've had before and you're right like the environmental issues they've been in the news a little bit down here lately because of the summit that's happening at the moment but like it is something that we maybe should take a little bit more care of or responsibility for and in terms of like 
products to use or, you know, things that you've been actioning yourself? Like, can you share some things that we could maybe do? Yeah, no, certainly. Um, I'll take any excuse to tell everyone what some top tips, but I guess for me, it's about starting small. I think that's like the scary thing is you're like, oh, I can't change my whole life, but that's not what um, you need to do. Like it starts with never leaving home without your refillable drink bottle. Or if you go into the cafe, take your keep cup, things that you know are super simple, but then you get to the stage where like, you think about other products. So for example, I recently learned that every toothbrush you have ever owned is still on this planet today oh, wow. and I was like okay well I go through a couple of toothbrushes so um <laughs> you know things like bamboo toothbrushes like super simple or razors you can get like metal razors where you just replace the blade rather than buying plastic razors all the time and you know when, when I travel the world I've got in my trailer I've got my tools and my sails and I've got my Tupperware and beeswax wraps so that I'm not having to use plastic to take my food containers um, anywhere. So there are all these little things that you can do just in your daily life. Um, and I think in Australia, we're, we're, we're quite good with it, but it's just about creating that routine and creating those habits and, and, and in a way feeling guilty if you, if you don't do it. And, and I definitely slip up from time to time. I you know forget my drink bottle or, or my keep cup, but it's about like doing it as much as you can because it's hard to change the world, but if everyone does a little bit, it's going to make a big difference. Mm, exactly. And you've, you know, you've been able to witness the stark difference between, and I, I don't know the exact population of Rio, but, you know, between us in Australia and our beaches and how, I guess, clean they are compared to Rio, but, you know, it's something that we want to protect and like, yeah, it's, I feel a little bit guilty. I um, don't always remember my keep cup or my metal smoothie container, but yeah, like making those, I do have a bamboo toothbrush. <laughs> my sister bought that for Excellent. me last Christmas. <laughs> she bought me like a 10 pack, but yeah, making those little swaps to, and, you know, relating it back to sport to keep doing, you know, that sport that you love without the fear of if you fall in and you have a cut, you're going to get sick. Like you want to be able to do the sport you love without worrying about that or without even seeing something that you love so much polluted with rubbish. Yeah, exactly. And I think, and it's in the news at the moment. It's like, yeah, right now, like we live in this beautiful country and you go to the beach and you don't think there's plastic on it. But if you look close enough, you can probably find it. But mm -hmm. we have a responsibility so that in 15 years time or however long that we're not having to close our beaches because it's filthy or like we've got, I don't want, anyone not to be able to enjoy sailing or surfing because you know the water's too polluted like that's just devastating so you know right now everything looks rosy but it's about educating yourself to realize that you know if we keep going the way we do it's not always going to be as beautiful and, and we're so lucky here and and I feel like in Rio like I feel sorry for them because they just don't have the infrastructure like the favelas just don't have like correct plumbing or like waterways so it mm. just ends up in the bay so um, we're probably hidden from it, to be honest. And I think when you have those moments where your eyes are really open um, and sometimes ignorance is bliss, but I urge people to just do a little bit of research and try to change one thing a year or one thing a month because, you know, if everyone does one thing, it'll make a massive impact. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that you've brought this message. I know it's a, a sport podcast, but it will allow people to enjoy these environments that we do sport in. So it all interrelates there. Um, I love that. Is there like a lesson that you've learned along the way that you'd want to share either to a younger athlete or to yourself maybe 10 years ago? 
well, this one's not related to the environment, but it's a pretty good <laughs> lesson for anyone that's sort of getting into sport or not sure if they're, you know, the right body type or, you know, I don't want to wear that or, or whatever it is, or, you know, I'm not, I'm not the best at that. I think all those sort of things that we, we self-doubt, like if I was talking to myself 15 years ago or 10 years ago, like there were so many people that questioned me when I said, oh, I'm going to try to go to the Olympics. They're like, mm. well, you're not, you're not strong enough or you're not, big enough or because my boat's a mixed class so I'm racing against men mm-hmm. as well so there was a lot of doubters and I was like oh yeah I'll be fine or but then you know still sometimes I think oh am I really that talented which sounds really <laughs> stupid but um and I think I would say to anyone that's like oh I don't know like I really want to do it but am I big enough am I strong enough am I talented enough so just do it just mm-hmm. give it a go dive in like you're your worst critic and the best thing you can do is give it a go and have fun because you know, the rest will fall into place. And if you don't end up at the Olympic Games, like that's fine, but you need to enjoy the journey. You need to do it for yourself. You don't need to do it to prove to anyone else. Just got to dive in and, and give it a go. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And it relates to everything in life, like whether that's studying or, you know, starting a business, like there's so many things you can, you know, use that advice for. That's amazing. Yeah, exactly. And like, we're all so scared of what other people think, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and you just don't need to be like, you just like all the good, best stories. Everyone's like, they just gave it a go and, and, and saw what happened. And, you know, you give it a go. And if you want to end up at the Olympics, you give it a go, but then you have to work really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. But the first step is to take a step out that door and, and try. So yeah, exactly. It relates to everything. And, and that's sort of like right now, I don't know what's next for me. I don't know what career I want to do. I don't know if I want to keep sailing. I don't know if I want to try to do Olympics again. But for me, it's like, hey, whatever opportunity comes at me right now, I'll give it a go. And we'll just see what happens. Yeah. Oh, that's an amazing attitude to have. And I guess you're right. Like it is so hard to do like it's easy to say but it's hard to do I know even just starting this podcast this is probably the first thing that I've ever just given like of course I had the doubts but just just did it without really questioning myself or stopping myself like within a week of having the idea I had it up and running so I just look back on some of all the other things that I've done and you know I've just kind of sat back and waited and going no I'm not good enough or I can't do this yet or I need a b or c done beforehand which really didn't need to be done. Exactly. Like people are always waiting for like the right right time or the right like frame of mind or, you know, when I have the office, I'll do this. Or when I have the house, I'll do this. It's like you sort of just have to, have to, yeah. It's, it's such a simple thing. It's like <laughs> just giving a go. And, you know, like I think the other thing to remember when we're on this topical conversation is that it, sometimes things don't go to plan mm-hmm. and that's okay as well. Like I think... I'm a bit of a perfectionist, which, you know, has its has its benefits, but also like the best growth comes from failure. And if you just don't walk out the door, you're never going to get that growth. Yes, yes, that is so, so true. Like you do grow from success in, in a little way, but, you know, you don't have to self-reflect or you don't have to bounce back and use your resilience. Like all that growth that projects you, you know, further does come from failure. 
Yeah, exactly. And it gives you so many more life skills. Um, and like success is fantastic. I'm not going to like deny that. It's a beautiful feeling. And and failure can feel horrible. And and like for me, coming quick at the Olympics was a horrible experience. I was there to win gold. And with time and reflection, like that's still, I'm trying to tell myself a great achievement, but that's really hard for me. But I've done so much self-growth from that fifth place compared to reflecting on the silver where I just had like the greatest time ever but how much did I grow definitely not even like slither as much as I have in the last four months Mm, and I think that just proves that failure isn't actually a failure or not achieving the result that you want isn't actually a failure because you do learn from it and you grow from it and you'll bounce back stronger might not be in the same space like we don't know but you get to where you need to be no matter whether you succeed and win a gold medal or you or you don't yeah exactly and like I don't want to fail I'm one of those people that like I want to win a gold medal I want to be the best at what I do no matter what that is so not being afraid of failure doesn't mean that you accept it Mm -hmm. but it means that you're willing to go through those moments because you know it's going to make you better in the end yeah and I think it's a it's a sign of bravery like it's kind of I'm a bit of a type A person as well. Like knowing that you don't like failure, knowing that you're, you know, scared, not scared of it, but you just, you're like, oh, this could not end up with a success, an easy success, but going, okay, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm just going to have to deal with whatever the outcome is. You know, that's a big part of the growth. Yeah. And like, I mean, if you have to keep chatting about this, um, I guess the other thing is like, if you have these bold ambitions, whatever they are, like for me, I was like, I want to go to the Olympics and win a gold medal, right? Okay, I haven't won a gold medal, but if I just said I want to go to the Olympics, maybe I might not have got there. But the fact that I wanted to win a gold medal, I set that standard for myself. You know, I've been to two Olympics and I've won a silver. Mm. So if my goal wasn't as big, I might have fallen just short. So it's that that classic situation, reach for the star, reach for the stars and you might hit the moon. But mm-hmm. for me, like that's, it's so true. Like be bold and because you never know where it's going to take you. That's it. I love that quote. I actually had that written up on my wall at, at one stage in the last few years, reach for the stars. You never know, you end up in the moon or, oh yeah. It's funny that you bring that up. Yeah, I love that one. I mean, I think we've hit a lot of points already <laughs> today, but um, yeah, it's just so lovely to be able to share those things because I sound really confident in everything that I'm saying, but it's been a massive journey to be able to you know, have that inside and have those mantras that I carry into um, everything I do in my life. Yeah. And I think, you know, it brings it back to the fact that sport was the vehicle that allowed you to learn those lessons and that you're going to take it, you know, once you retire, you're going to take it far beyond just the sporting context. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's so ingrained in me now. So um, I'm I'm very happy that I stuck it out when I was nine years old and uh, kept sailing. (laughs) Yes, yes. And uh, kudos to the people who were around you and was like, didn't let you give up as well. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> now, have you been involved in a project where sport has been used as a tool to, to develop the community? I know that we're just talking about at the moment how much it's been essential in your personal development and growth, but have you, you know, helped the community with sport? I guess for me, like getting people into sailing is a bit of a passion of mine and and I think that's the reason that I love sailing and why I want everyone in the community to get involved is because it's a sport you can do for life Mm -hmm. and it's a sport that you can do 
if you've got one arm, if you're short, if you're tall, if you're big, if you're old, like it doesn't matter. Um, and I think that's something that is really special about sailing is that you can do it from nine years old to 90 years old. And maybe I'm not directly benefiting the community in that way, but by, I think a lot of people are afraid to do sport because you know, I've got bad knees or I'm too big or I'm, I'm this or I'm that, or it's too hard. Whereas sailing, it's like, gets you outdoors. It gets you in the sun and the wind and gets you moving. And you can be like, even though it might be a little or a lot, you can just take it in every, any way that you want. And for me, it's just about getting outside and on the water and appreciating nature really. Like there's so many benefits of it. And, and yeah, I never really thought of sailing as benefiting the community, but um, anyone that will, wants to go out on a boat I I try and encourage them to yeah yeah definitely and I think that is like encouraging others to participate in sport not only helps them like personally but it helps them empower themselves to then develop the community further like it's like a chain reaction and you were part of the uh she sales is it a campaign to help increase the awareness of sailing yeah so I guess that's probably my biggest um my other fight other than saving the oceans is to get more female participation in sailing and that that's from the professional level to the junior level to the just love your weekend and twilight sailing level so yeah I um I've done a lot of talks um and been involved in a lot of um women's coaching events we've had a lot of women's conferences lately sharing stories about you know the challenges we've faced as women in the sport but Mm -hmm. also the joys that sailing can bring and how we actually are moving in the right direction so that's definitely something that i am super passionate about and often you know women might be on the boat with their husbands or partners or whatever and they sort of get pushed to the side um just and so it's about empowering you know, women of all ages to get out there and give it a go and say, oh, actually, I, I want to try steer the boat today or I want to try forward tactics today and, and not be just a passenger, but be an active participant because they've definitely got the skills. Yeah, it's, it's really cool that Australian sailing has, have got behind this cause, She Sails, and basically so many local clubs as well have been like, yeah, we're really keen to get more women involved in our local clubs. Yeah, that's awesome. And like you said, like it's a a sport that so many people can do. And if there's less women, and I guess like we've probably grown up in in the place where you don't see as many women participating in some sports. And the more you see it, the more young kids can think, oh, well, it's just the norm. So yeah, to get that initial boost of women in, in the sport, participating in the sport will then encourage future generations to do it as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think for me, like I've been really fortunate the timing that I sort of the NACRA is the first mixed boat that was in the Olympics um, that I sailed and you know right now there's all these initiatives to try and mandate females and professional sailing boats so I'm really like at this precipice where you know it might not happen for me in the sense of my male counterparts what they're experiencing now but I know the generation below me like they're going to be equals in 10 years easily to the men they're going to be recognized as sailors not as the the token female sailors um and I think that that's really exciting for me to be able to see that because it means we're not going to lose as many women and girls when they turn like 17 18 Mm -hmm. and they're like oh well this isn't a career for me so I better go to uni and that's something like 
that I'd love to look back on in 10 years time and be like, oh, wow, I encouraged you know, that person that's just won the America's Cup to keep sailing um, or I inspired them that, you know, women can go on fast boats and do crazy things. So, yeah, that's something that's um, really important to me. Mm, I like that you, uh, like you mentioned that, that you want people in the future, you're changing that generation below you. Like it might not, it's not even about you. Like you're not going to experience that, I guess, equality, but it's the girls in the generation below that are going to be like, well, no, I can do this and I don't have to give it up because like that I think is across a few different sports and maybe it's across sport in general. Like girls typically do drop out of sport at that 16, 17 age group because they don't see a future in it or they, you know, they get talked out of it or I've even read studies about like their brothers get encouraged to keep playing say football or something, but the, you know, parents maybe unbiasedly go, no, no, uh, to the daughter and go you can't keep doing netball you can't do football because you're not going to get the AFL draft or you know this is maybe 10 years ago but things like that have happened and to have that not continue will be something incredible and if you're part of that movement then kudos to you yeah it's it's pretty amazing and I think it's it's definitely like a lot of people say it's like oh well girls just like aren't sporty as sporty mm. but I I really think it comes down to heroes because like who are we seeing in the news like when I was growing up we weren't seeing like all these amazing female athletes we were like on the cover of like Vogue and Women's Health we were seeing models or mm. like movie stars whereas like seeing Ellie Cole on like <laughs> the cover of magazines and like all the other amazing female athletes from the rugby girls to like Jess Fox like Mm -hmm. you know all these incredible women the girls now like not only do they have a pathway but they have heroes Mm -hmm. that they can be sporty and look like they're heroes rather than be like oh no I can't be sporty because like then I'm gonna have big arms or (laughs) I'm not gonna fit into that dress it's like who cares like what can you do not what do you look like And and I think that that is just it's such good messaging and I wish I had that growing up so if I can be a little bit of a part of it I'll definitely do that. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that you mentioned two things that just resonated with me. The first one was Ali Cole. Uh, she actually like learnt to swim where I learnt to swim. So, you know, she had the same coach as me and uh, she was obviously way better and way talent, more talented. And she'd moved on to being <laughs> on her first Olympic team by the time I'd been swimming with that coach. But when she came down to visit her family, she'd come down and swim with us. So I I was very lucky in the sense that I could look up to her because she was part of kind of our club environment. But she did actually teach me exactly what you said, the the big shoulders. Like coming from a swimming environment, the females usually do uh, tend to have bigger shoulders. That's just the way that, you know, your body has to, not has to be, but your body develops when, develops. when you're a swimmer. Yeah. And I wasn't super impressed with it and I remember shopping for like my year 10 formal dress and really struggling but she you know helped reframe that mindset and going no like think of all the amazing things those shoulders allow you to do and by the time you know I was shopping for my year 12 valedictory dress I was like yes like I'm so proud about these like I know what to look for in a dress that doesn't make them look exceptionally big but it it had changed that mindset and yeah like sport was I guess the tool and having her as a hero was able to do that for me. Yeah, so it's all about access and and those stories, like it happens to so many people, I guess. And um, that's why I love like 
a little sailing like crew so all my friends around the world we always like make jokes about oh, like how we can't get our our tops over our forearms and things <laughs> like that and like the fact that we can joke about it rather than be ashamed of it it's just like just goes to show like how far we've come and um yeah it's it's crazy that we're having this, that conversation but um but it's it's like it seems so I don't know what the right word is it's like trivial it seems mm. so trivial but it actually makes a huge difference to confidence and also like if we're talking about pathway like if that is a barrier like that's just silly so let's have these conversations so people know that they're not alone like Ellie had with you mm, yeah I, I think yeah the more we talk about it like it's funny that you say like tops over your forearms as well like I I still can't get like tops. You know how you put a top like over your shoulders and your head? I can't do that. I step into my clothes sometimes because my hips are smaller than my shoulders and it's easier to get into clothes that way. We've all been there. We've all been stuck <laughs> in the change room in an awkward situation, not being able to get something over our shoulders. <laughs> but but like knowing that like there's no shame related to that now. It's all the fact that no like these shoulders have done incredible things like these shoulders are strong these shoulders allowed me to compete in 200 butterfly like bring it back to what you know what Ali said to me like your body has allowed you to do amazing things like that helps reframe the mindset and yeah I hope I hope like women these days don't have to well like young girls or young teenagers don't have to potentially doubt their bodies if they want to be in sport because they do have more access to role models yeah, and I guess, like, on that is, like, speaking about body image is that the fact that, like, everyone's so different. Like, that's mm-hmm. the great thing about walking into an Olympic village because you've got, like, these seven-foot girls that play basketball and then you've got these tiny, like, balls of muscle that are gymnasts and mm-hmm. then you've got, like, these big girls that, like, throw and, you know, you just look at the rugby sevens team. They all are different shapes and sizes and I think that, that that's the cool thing about the Olympics is, yeah, everyone – if you're looking at all the gymnasts, they all might look really similar. But what what you can see in the Olympic Village is that like every body shape is beautiful and powerful and can do amazing things. And like I think that's just like the coolest thing ever. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. And it it allows them to perform in the sport that they're doing, and that's what it needs to do. Like that's why they're there. They're there to perform in their sport, and their body allows them to do it. So that that's exactly right. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, and and I think like yeah, the more the more girls that can get into sport, like it brings you like obviously like body image is a massive thing, but you know being active is awesome. Like mm-hmm. even being injured for like two weeks, I'm like I just want to go like do activities because it gives me so much energy and it gives me so much like makes me smile, and so there's like so many benefits to staying active and. Yeah, get out there and be active, basically. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we've touched on it a little bit, but the last question is, where do you see the future of sport? And I'd like to see where you see it, uh, either in general or in sailing. I know you'd like to pop your influence in terms of the female participation, but where do you see the future of sport? I think female sport particularly is obviously something that I'm so interested in. So I'd love to, like, I see it going in the right direction. I see that you know, the women are getting paid in sport, which is great, but let's turn on our TV and hear about females every time we turn on the TV, just as much as we hear about all the rugby players or mm. AFL players. Like, I want to be hearing about them all the time. I want them on our newspapers. I want people to be like, oh, did you see that that game and not be referring to the men's state of origin or, or what, whatever it is. I think that that's something that it's made leaps and bounds, but to 
to have it truly equal, it doesn't need to have like a W in front of it or it doesn't need to be, oh, this is our women's sport feature. It's like this is our sports feature. And and that's for all sports, but particularly sailing. Like it's amazing to see some of the mainstream sports becoming equal, like the cricket and things like that and tennis. But sailing, in my personal opinion, is is so far behind the females being viewed as talent mm-hmm. and being when they think, oh, I need this. I need a sailor for this. The people that are the team leaders, they don't think about the females. They've got to be prompted and incentivized. And I just cannot wait for the day where it's like, oh, I need a really good person to trim the sail. And they think of a female without mm. without a little bit of a, a tap and a nudge. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I think I was very lucky growing up in swimming where participation is, you know, roughly 50-50. So I kind of was sheltered in that in in that sense. However, like when I was coaching, I was one of the only female coaches. Like it, I think in terms of like the swim team, it was something like three percent of the top coaches were female. So yeah, like seeing that opened my eyes to the maybe not inequalities, but the generational inequalities, like people who have grown up in the sport and who have that decision making power, they haven't seen it as important or they didn't grow up with females playing sport I'm not exactly sure what it was but having that and kind of like going no no like we want to do it too we're just as capable that light bulb moment of like things might not be as equal as what we think yeah it's like massive unconscious bias and I Mm. think like that there's a lot of that like from like the public to people that are making these decisions is that people don't necessarily like think that they're being bias mm-hmm. towards a gender that just like happens to be that way and that, that's like that whole education piece of being like okay well I actually need to expand my horizons and I don't know what I don't know and what value could a female bring to my team or my coaching staff or my high performance staff and I think um, especially like if you've got females in your squad I think the female coaches can bring like a whole lot of insight into how you retain those athletes or help them flourish like there's so many benefits of having like equal gender and like they've experienced that in the corporate world and and sports just catching up yeah yeah definitely I think there's a statistic somewhere saying that in sport there's only again three percent uh females are CEOs and so you you know you kind of look at a young sport management student who's a female and and who do they have to look up to because only three percent are females and if you see it you can believe you know you can believe that you can do it so we, yeah, to help boost that as well as the actual participation of athletes, like I think it's yeah the whole the whole context of sport, and it is getting better. <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be something fixed in the next five years or it's a generational thing where slowly the old the older mindset or that old school mindset that grew up with a male dominated industry retires and and moves on. And the the new ranks come up and start bringing it. And that's, you know, by the time people like me and you are in power, uh, it's it's fully, <laughs> fully equality. Yeah, exactly. I think that's true. Like once the like athlete cohort now that's like experiencing gender equality gets to the point where they're like, okay, I want to coach or I want to manage or I want to whatever it is, that's when there'll be a massive talent pool fighting for those roles, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Well, Lisa, we've touched on, a lot of things today but it's been amazing like I have learned so much and you know being able to chat to you about these things 
has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me. We got we got a bit deep every now and then, but hopefully, hopefully people take one or two things away from it. But yeah, it's been a real joy to chat today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.